Tonight's sermon could be titled, Life's Second Greatest Need. And it naturally follows. Remember I told you that before uh, the setting of that sermon, how that first sermon, the last sermon came to me, I was at, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning and, and I was recuperating from surgery. I dreamed, I guess it was a dream, that I was preaching. And I liked what I was preaching, so I lay there in bed and I finished that sermon. And then I went on into another sermon and another sermon and kept extending the thoughts until it was 6.30 and I got up and had some breakfast. And then after breakfast, I shared with Karen for about the next hour of what the, the Lord had been sharing with me. And it's along that line that I would like to preach this evening. Remember the, uh, the uh, commercial examples from the last sermon? We really don't deserve a break today. Coke is really not the end of all of our drinking pleasures. And when we buy that car, we really don't need all the options that are offered to us. And if we're confused about what is our legitimate need, which I think we are, then our, we mentioned that our prayer life is affected. We pray and we ask God to meet our wants and not our needs. And we're disappointed and disillusioned when those kinds of prayers are not answered. We become frustrated in our prayer life when we begin to take the reins of our life into our own hands once again. And we begin to boil the need of life into the framework which was set forth by the Lord. We soon realize that he considered life's needs as very simple. Jesus spoke of food and drink and raiment and perhaps a place to lay your head. But anything else that he gives us over and above that is a big plus for those of us who live in his promises. And if we fail to see this, and if we begin to ask for our wants and feel like we just don't have enough, then it robs us of our gratitude for what we have. For if I'm always feeling that I need more things, I'm never satisfied, and gratefulness begins to ebb from my life, along with the perspective which God intended me to have. And this spirit of ungratefulness, as Romans 1 says, is the first step always away from God, in that it says, in that their minds they knew God, but they were not grateful. And that's the first step in a long series of steps away from the Lord. So we concluded and we said we did not need the two cars and the VCRs and the six different suits or even our health. But we do need something. We all very desperately need God. Each of us, from the greatest to the least, from the, from the smartest to the least intelligent, from the rich to the poor, to the most educated to the least educated. Christ is life's greatest need. And we all continue to need him. We need him, you see, before we're saved, to bring into our lives that revelation that we're lost and, and that we need to be reconciled to God. We need him. We need his forgiveness. And we need him after we're saved. We need God after we're saved to live, give us the strength for the life of victory and to be that intercessor that we need with the Father. We need him in death and we will continue to need him in glory. You see, we'll just need him forever. That's life's greatest need. And Jesus said it this way, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your strength. I think the last sermon I preached is probably the most discussed sermon that I've ever, ever preached because in that Sunday morning service, 
The teenage discipleship class was assigned to take notes, sermon notes. Children's Church was sitting over there, and they were assigned to take notes. That happened to also be the same week the advanced discipleship class was given the assignment. Sometime within the next week, you have to take sermon notes. So there were, all people had their pencils out and their paper out, and they were taking notes. And so the topic of discussion the next time those groups got together was the sermon. I don't know that that says anything about the sermon, but it does say something about I think learning a little bit about how to take notes and what it's all about, I find that if I take them as pastors preaching, that I just remember it just a little bit better. If life's greatest need is to know the Father and to know the Son, if, if our greatest need is God, then it naturally follows that since my greatest need is for God and your greatest need is for God, if I am lost... You need to tell me that the, the truth about being saved. And if you are lost, then I need to tell you the truth about being saved. If neither one of us is lost, then we need to encourage one another, as the scripture says, because we're part of the body of Christ and we need to minister and encourage one another. I need to minister to you and you need to minister to me. So out of life's greatest need comes the framework of life's second greatest need. And if I'm preaching this sermon tonight, I could almost just superimpose the outline of last time on this time, because you see they just naturally go together. By the way, I haven't spelled it out yet. Have you guessed what is life's second greatest need? What would you say would be if our greatest need, I think we can all come together on that one, if our greatest need is of God, what's life's second greatest need? While you're thinking about that, if I could get one of the ushers just to get a little airflow in here, there's a number of people that are uncomfortable, and I think it would help us all. Thank you. Life's second greatest need is we need each other. We could, in superimposing the outline of the last sermon onto this one, remember the first point? The first point of the last sermon was God knows our need. Look at, if we turn to Genesis 1, we find that in that first chapter of Genesis, God is making the world, the land, the sea, the light, the darkness, all living creatures on the earth and in the sea. And when he finished each day, he said, it's good. We turn over to Genesis 2 and we find that in verse 18, that God looks upon making man. And we find these words. And God said, it is not good that man should live alone and I will make him a helper suitable for him. You see, Adam was okay, but just being alone was not okay. He needed. And who, know, who, who realized that he needed another? God. See, God knows our need for other people. And so he, he was made in God's image. Adam was out without sin, but he needed something. He was alone, and that was not good. And God recognized that. And that's proof that God knows our need for one another. You say, now, wait a minute, Jerry, that's, that's talking about marriage. I can see the need for marriage and companionship, and I can see maybe where that's life's second greatest need, but I'm not so sure that I believe that we need each other that desperately. Well, marriage, just, it, marriage is probably where, where our need for one another is best understood and satisfied. And it begins there, but it doesn't end there. 
It's extended to all of us. I believe that's the way that God's made us. So I can say to you tonight, I need you. And you need me. I can, we can say, that's a need. I have a need in my life. Not only do I have a need for God, but I need you. And I know that we get very tied up in some of our songs that we sing and, you know, I, that, that if, if I were on an island all by myself, all I would need is Jesus. And I know in theory that's good. But I'm not so sure how strong I would be if I were just all alone in the world with me and the Lord. Because I need you. And I think something else. I think you need me. I think we all need one another. I just think that's the way that God has made us. Remember point number two? Now, number one was that God knows our need for one another, but point number two is that we're confused. Same point for this sermon. And you see that we don't believe that we really need others that desperately, and we're confused about that because of, I think, at least three reasons. The same reasons that we had in the other sermon, but I'll give them to you again. Number one, the influence of the world. We're confused about our need for one another because the world pushes us in the direction of independence. Whence God has told us that we need to be dependent upon each other and upon him. Yesterday morning, some of us men were in a breakfast and we listened to the pastor of the Westside Church, J.K. Warwick, share with us. And he told how he, he just is a bookworm. He reads a whole lot. And I know a little bit enough about his life where I know that's true. And he says he finds himself going in bookstores and what he always wants to do when he goes there is go to the bestseller list. And he says invariably when he goes to that bestseller list, there is some sort of book about, you know, how you, how you put a dollar down and you buy a block of your street or how with just a little minimal amount of investment, pretty soon you can own a city. And he was exaggerating a bit, but we've all seen that kind of promotion and that kind of a book that just a little bit down, and some of the get-rich-quick schemes that are on the market today always seem to make it to the bestseller list. Now, God's not against anybody having money, but what the point is this, that the world is somehow pushing us into the point of independence, and so this word financial independence comes in. But it just doesn't start stop there. It ends up by saying you need to be independent of those around you. You need to kind of live in your own little island and be independent. That's the way the world is pushing us. And doing a singles Bible study on Saturday, one of the things that they're saying back to me is this, that as singles, we have a lot of pressure on our lives to say, we don't need anybody else. We can make it on our own. Well, the world's saying that to all of us. Make it on your own. Don't get too close to the guy next to him because you really can't trust him. And the world is pushing us in the direction of being independent. And I wish, see, another extension of this, I'll tell you another sermon that's coming down the road, is the framework of the church and how dependent we are to be upon one another and how Christ set down that kind of a framework. Out of this comes the whole thought, philosophy, and ministry of the church about how we're to minister and trust and love each other. We spoke last time of the influence of the world through advertising. And we told that through advertising that we need certain things, that we really don't need them at all. Tonight I'd like to speak of another graphic example of the kind of influence that affects our relationships with one another. Again, it comes through the world, but specifically 
I want to say something about the influence of television. Now, Pastor mentioned this a couple sermons ago when he was preaching and sharing with us. But one of the severe influences of television is that while watching it, we become absorbed in what we're seeing. Hour after hour, we accumulate the effect of TV, and it begins to make us insensitive to the real world. And what we view slowly becomes the norm and the accepted behavior. And the two words that are so prominent today, violence and sex, in fact, we hear so much about those two words that to mention them in this sermon is passe, and they've almost lost their effect. But the violence and sex that's thrown into our homes today is being tolerated and thus accepted. And what's wrong with sex and violence as used in most television programmings today is that it reduces people to objects. And we lose our identity as God's creation. And you use this person or you use that person and they're an object. They're no longer a child of God. We've seen people murdered, we've seen people sexually abused, we've heard them cursed, and we've seen them being blessed for being evil. In the process, we become numb to what God is telling us. We base our measure of right and wrong on black and white now, and subtly in the back of our minds, the measuring stick is some Hollywood script. And it's been a subtle influence And in comparison to the time spent in the Word of God, we have to sheepishly confess that we spend much more time in front of the tube. And that's affected us. And that's affected how we see one another. Now, I'm not against television. I'm not up here saying let's all burn our TV sets. I'm not against TV. But the church is suffering today because we've not guarded our lives to the extent that we should have guarded them as holy before the Lord. The comedians on today's programming, they're wanting us to laugh at the wrong things. And the more we watch, the more insensitive we become until we're laughing right along with them. It finally extends to the place where we're using the same kind of humor in our own lives. And we joke and laugh about things because we think it might be cute or sexy sexy to be a little on the crude side. And our response to people like Bob and Tom on Q95 is to react with curiosity or with a snicker instead of with anger. And it should make us angry when we hear and we see the trash that's on the airwaves today And if you're not angry at some of the things that's trying to come into your home and to the lives of your family, then you are becoming insensitized to the needs of other people. Another thing that makes us become insensitive through the area of television is the awareness, is the loss, I guess, of the what the Scripture calls the exceeding sinfulness of sin. We read that in the Bible study. It's in Romans uh, 7.13. When we see so much sin taking place without regard of the framework of God or reality, we lose our sensitivity of how bad sin really is. There has been a thought that has helped me lately, and that thought is this. I guess it really comes in the form of a question. How bad does sin have to be before it separates us from God? 
I like to go back to the Garden of Eden. And with Adam and ask that same question. Well, how many sins did it take for Adam to be separated from God? One. And today, his sin would be a sin that we would excuse and say, hey, that's not so bad. I mean, it's just one apple. There's not a courtroom in this country today that would say that the punishment received was worthy of the crime because we failed to see it as sin. But not only did that one sin separate Adam from God, but it caused the whole human race to be lost. Can you, have you thought of that? One sin. God is so holy that one sin against his holiness is too much. One. And that one sin affected us all, and it continues to affect us to the point that because of it, we will all die. And unless God himself had not intervened through Christ, everyone that had ever been born and would ever be born would eternally be in hell. That's how bad one sin is. One. But that's why Jesus came, to bring together a holy God and sinful man. And he alone has made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. His sacrifice, his life, was received by the Father and so that it took really the most precious gift in all the universe, Christ himself. It took Jesus to conquer sin. And we are so lost that if Jesus that would not have come, we would remain eternally separated from God, from that one sin. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. But what are we doing when we watch some of the things on television that come onto the screen and we don't have enough fortitude or whatever it is to walk across the room and turn it off and we see sin, sin, sin until we're becoming numb to the fact that one sin is all it takes to eternally separate us from God. And that's been a devastating effect. On us until we feel like that we can almost stand before God with a little bit of sin. There's no place in Scripture where you can ever say that that's true. Not one sin, the Scripture says, shall enter heaven. Not one. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. Another influence in today's world is simply the pace with which we live. Almost everyone I know is going about 16 different directions, trying to get it all done. We're involved with this and that and sometimes holding down two or three jobs and the kids are doing their thing and, and before you know it, you meet yourself at the corner and then you stop to take a breath and you realize that maybe you don't even know your own family or their needs. And you've been too busy to meet their needs as individuals. And one of the things that I feel very strongly is if Satan can just keep us busy, maybe not even sinning, but just busy, we'll be ineffective as a church. So the world pushes us to be independent from one another. It purports a value system that makes us insensitive to sin and to others. And it keeps us so busy doing things, we want to get everything done that we can cram into a 24-hour day that's possible. 
And as a result, we're confused about the fact that we really do need each other. We've lost our spiritual orientation and we've forgotten what's most important. We've forgotten what are the legitimate needs of life. We think we need to be busy. We think we need to be independent. We think we need to be cute or maybe just even a little crude when what we really need is God and other people. That's our need. You see, we know the words of Jesus, but we really don't believe them. He said, this is the greatest commandment, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I told the discipling group the other day that after that, that really stirred me. I've been changing ever since I had that early morning experience. And I, I, I told the discipling class that I think for the rest of my life, I could preach on this passage. Every sermon for the rest of my life. I think I've had it confused in the past. I've wanted to preach on this topic or that topic. But I've never really seen the continuity of everything. But I believe every sermon can be preached and say, with this kind of introduction, today I'm going to be preaching on how you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or with the other example of saying, today I'm going to address a variation of what Jesus was talking about when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because in that, Jesus said in Matthew, the cross-reference to this, he said, in that is the whole law and the prophets. One affects your vertical relationship with God. The other one reflects every relationship that you'll have in, in life. It affects our relationship with the world. It affects our relationship to the church. It reflects our relationship to God. It reflects our relationship to the family. And on and on and on it goes. In those two commandments, I think I've just had it, I've made it too complicated. We can boil it right down to that dual approach. But if you're like me, I think maybe sometimes or somehow we fail to grasp that truth. Our lives have become cluttered and confused with other things, but I think we need to return back to the basics. If I love the Lord with all my heart, if that is my greatest need, then it is your greatest need too. And if it is your greatest need, then I need to have a responsibility to see to you, see to it that it comes to pass in your life that God is your greatest need. You need me and I need you. It's true in the church. We really do need each other. That's the whole reason for the church. And we're to love and to nurture one another because we are his body together. But it's also true for all those who do not know the Lord. They need us. Because they need the Lord. They need us. They are literally going to the lake of fire. If they do not come to the place in their lives where they're really ready to trust the Lord to bring them back to God. Let's not become insensitive to that. For just one sin is enough. And the scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, people need the Lord. 
We're not after spiritual feathers in our caps by trying to see how many people we can reach. People simply need the Lord. They need to be saved. They need to have the miracle happen in their life of the new birth. And some of the people are so frustrated in their sin and so lost in their sin, they need a miracle just to make it in life. They're not coping with life itself. And they're going to be lost if we don't tell them. If we don't show them that God loves them. Christ has commissioned us to go into all the world. We can give the world missions and we can pray for missionaries, but it's hard for us sometimes to get off the front porch. And if we're not careful, we'll be lulled into sleep, failing to see the people of the world and their needs. And I know you might be thinking, Jerry, this sounds awfully strong language. Are you, are you angry at us as a congregation? <laughs> are, you, uh, are you chiding us? Are you chewing us out tonight? No. But I am concerned. I'm concerned about the kingdom of God. I'm concerned about this congregation. I'm concerned about me. I'm concerned about you. And together, us reaching our potential as a church. We're not doing it yet. We're doing a better job of it, but there's a lot of things we could do. Remember last March, we had a friend day. Remember that? I think... What you did as a congregation just literally shocked us as a staff. We said, why don't we invite all of our friends? We knew we wouldn't get 100% cooperation. Why don't we invite our friends and just have them share a day with us here at church? Remember how many we had? 1,200. You say, is that our potential? No, our potential is way beyond that. That's what we did. That's not our potential. And right now we're running this this morning. We had a little less than 700 in church. Now, why? Well, you say, you, I mean, uh, you, you, you can't expect us to do that each week. I mean, I mean, that was just a special day. And we're all working together and, and we all just focused in on that one day because we had something to work with and we just realized we need to get people here. Well, why can't you do it each week? Well, if we did it each week, you see, we're, we're too busy. Or we've got this to do or that to do. What is life's greatest need? What's my need? What's your need? What's the need of those around us? Are we really focusing in? Are we really ready to admit that we haven't bought this yet from Scripture? That my greatest need is God and my second need is you. I need you more than I need my furniture. I need you more than I need my car and my paycheck. I need you. And you need me. And the people that do not know the Lord, they desperately need us. There are some people, and, I, and I've shared this with a lady's Bible study, the thing that tears me up sometimes is, I, is the thought that people are going to hell for the wrong reason. They think God's some judge behind a bench and waiting for them to write something in, in alongside their name so he can smack the gavel down and say they're guilty. And they fail to see that God is a God of love and mercy and literally sent the best he had into the world because he loved them so much. And people will miss heaven simply because they've never heard the truth in the right way and they need to hear it from us. You say, well, I don't, you know, I haven't been through the evangelism class. I don't know how to share my, you don't need that. You really don't need that. 
One of the things I think we need is what pastors called us to do. We do need to pray. And I was reminded of this. Jesus, when he was standing beside his disciples after he had witnessed to the to the woman who uh, went into the city later on to tell everything that Christ had told her. She had husbands and the man she was living with was not her husband and all of this. When the crowd was coming back, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, lift up your eyes to the field. They're, they're, they're already white to harvest. And then he said, pray ye the Lord of harvest that he would send forth labors into the harvest. And I always wondered, why did he say that? Because Jesus never said anything that God didn't already know anyway. He told us that. He said, I, whatever I speak, God tells me to speak. So when he said, pray the Lord of harvest that he would send forth labors into the harvest, God didn't need that. He already knew that. Why did he tell them to pray? He told them to pray so that when they prayed, they would realize that they had to go. God knew they had to go. And Jesus should have said, could have said go, just like any one of us could stand in front and say, we need to go. But you see, unless we pray, unless God shows us what our needs are, until we get our priorities straight and begin to live by them, we're not going to go. So one of the most effective things we could do is pray. Pray ye the Lord of harvest that he'd send forth labors into the harvest. God wasn't holding back. God didn't have labors ready and said, I'm not going to send these until somebody prays. No. God knew he wanted those men to go. And Jesus was smart enough that he realized unless they see the need themselves, it's going to be ineffective. So unless each of us really sees that the Great Commission is for us, unless each of us sees that we need to go, that Christ can actually build his kingdom through me, it'll never happen for us. We'll never reach our potential. But if each of us begins to get a hold of that promise of God to trust the Holy Spirit and to just reach out one by one to reach out to those that are around us, we'll begin to reach our potential. And no, I'm not angry at this congregation. I told Don Neal the other day we met and I said, Don, this is the finest congregation I could know of anywhere. The finest staff I could ever be on. And I believe that with all my heart but I am concerned that I reach and you reach and together we reach our potential in Christ because people need the Lord. And life's greatest need is that we would know the Father through the Son. That's true for all of us. It'll be true forever. And guess what else is going to be in heaven? Not the things that sometimes we prayed about and said, Lord, I need this and you're going to have to work this out and Lord, I need that and I've got a whole list for you, Lord. No, none of that will be there. But guess what else will be there? You and I. Those things are eternal. The two eternal things God's given us, that's what we're to live for. Those are our needs. And I'll, tell you, I'll just be honest, I'm praying that God will open my eyes that I might see the needs. That I might see my own priorities. That I might see that I need you. And that you need me so that we could effectively minister one to the other. And I hope that's your prayer. In these two are all the law and the prophets. And the old wise scribe said, Jesus, you've told us the truth. 
I can see that everything that I've ever jotted down in my life can fit in those two categories. And Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from getting your life lined up with the will of God. When you begin to see this, you're going to live in the truth. I'm going to close this service tonight in a way that I've never done before. Might never do it again. Not going to make any promises. But I might never do it again. If you're like me, when God begins to talk to you about something, I like to think, I like to pray, I like to meditate on it. And I'll tell you what, as I go through the Bible, and as God speaks to me in devotional life, if I don't personalize it, it never happens for me. I might see the truth and just might rejoice even in the truth, but unless it becomes a part of me, it's not going to change me. I'm not going to be a different man. I've got to take time to pray over it and say, God, this has to become a part of me. This word has to become my flesh that I might live out your truth. So tonight, what I'd like for us all to do, I just want you to remain seated. And I want you to reflect on a, on a song tonight. A Hope concert about a year ago, we had Steve Green with us. And Steve Green sang a song that's just been ringing through my mind now for over a year. And the song is, People Need the Lord. And I'd like for you, as I've asked Dave to cue that song tonight, and he's prepared just to let it kind of float through the air over our sound system. But I would like for you to bow with me, and then for together, I'd like for us to pray. I just want you to pray for yourself, just yourself. Lord, help me to see the need, and I'll do the same thing for me. And with that song, we'll close. Let's all bow our heads. And you have been a very patient crowd tonight, and I want to thank you for that. But would you help me? Would you help me be more effective? I need to be. I need to be a better witness for Christ, and you can help me. There's some people that I could be reaching. I need your encouragement. I need your help. And maybe we can just kind of covenant together to help each other. You know, we do kind of silly things. I call them silly. Maybe some of you call them silly. We come up with magic formulas and goals and all these kind of things. That's kind of our way on staff of saying, come on, folks, we can do it. But probably something that's better than that, if you just come up to me and say, hey, Jerry, you got your person invited for next concert. Maybe if I come up to you and say, who are you, who are you bringing next Saturday night? Who's the Lord talking to you about? Maybe that's what the Bible says, the way we're to encourage one another. So we can keep our priorities straight. I need that. Now, let me just say one other thing, and then I'm going to finish. And that is, and we need to be in revival. You say, oh, don't talk about being... Yes, we do. And I'll tell you why. Because when we are together doing something, there's an added dimension. Well, you say, I can't make all the nights of the river. I haven't changed my schedule. Do your best to do it. Why? Because I need you to be here. It helps me when you're here. And I hope it helps you if I'm here. And when you look around and you see all the other people that are here that are putting the, that week in our, which is so important to our church and putting that in perspective, it'll do something for you. Just being here will help the person next to you. Well, I don't feel like going tonight. Go anyway. Encourage someone else just by being there.
we need to support that week because it's so important to the whole life and strength of our church. I've preached long enough. I'm not going to ask all the people to say amen. But you shake hands with one another and you tell somebody tonight that you need them and you love them. Good night.